Tim Sommerfeld, it's so great to have you on my many screens, big picture podcast for Comscore. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm looking at your bio, your professional bio, <laughs> and you have a really interesting background. You're a veteran marketing executive and creative director responsible for creating award-winning advertising campaigns for television, motion pictures, and digital entertainment. So, you, you know, you've been in the business uh, quite a long time. You, you've worked on many campaigns for some huge films, and I know that it's a collaborative process for you, and you've worked with a lot of really cool talent and executives, and you've worked on uh, campaigns for so many films. And I know you've worked on trailers as well, and we'll get into that because I think people are really fascinated by the process of trailers. But let's get into this a little bit. So what really prompted you to get into the business and how did you wind up having such a you know, real eye for what audiences will like? I grew up in local television. That's what my past was. And I moved all around the country working at uh, various stations. And I ended up in Los Angeles working at KCBS TV. And I ended up uh, soon working uh, at Disney and Sony and New Line, working with a great bunch of people, working on the vendor side as well. And, you know, luck has something to do with it. I think with everyone in this industry, uh, luck uh, and being in the right place at the right time uh, always is there somewhere. And, uh, you know, fortunately, like I said, I've worked with great editors, some great creative people, uh, some terrific studio people, and things just kind of came together. Not all marketing is created equal. Not every type of marketing is correct for a, a particular movie. But what was it about your background that made you particularly tuned in with bringing voice to movies that might not otherwise have been hits, but for the fact that you had a great marketing campaign that really expressed what the movie was about? I think a lot of it has to do with uh, taking satisfaction in trying to do a job well done because you don't give up on, on a little bit of success. You constantly push yourself to make things better. And if you're lucky to work with a bunch of people who have that same kind of attitude, I, that's what you're looking for, quite honestly. But how do you, Tim, balance the creatives and then the marketing side, right? So you have filmmakers writers, directors, producers, actors, and then you have your marketing teams. And it's don't you have to walk a little bit of a tightrope? You have to be almost like a bartender, a, a, a counselor, a liaison, a caretaker. I mean, how do you balance those two things? How do you make kind of everyone happy? Or is it always just a compromise and you wind up with the best thing out of all that work that, and all the discussions that go into creating a campaign for a particular movie? Well, I think uh, if you're lucky to work with people whose only agenda is to open movies and to do the job that you know they need to do, that's great. I think uh, creative and marketing goes hand in hand. Uh, uh, for example, I'll talk you through a, a normal process. Uh, if yeah. you're lucky to work uh, or if things kind of like line up uh, and in a perfect world, which is not always the case, um, while the production is going on, while they're shooting a movie, you've met with the team, you've discussed strategy because you always need to know who the audience is that you're going for. That may change along the way, but once you, you know that you go and you go on set while they're shooting the movie and you set up and you do your photo shoot, 
cover up on concepts based on the strategy, do all the gallery shots for the uh, publicity people. And also you make friends with the director as soon as possible (laughs) because you are basically other than production, you are the first person of the marketing team that kind of reaches out to the director and you have to build trust. And in this business uh, and in any relationship, trust is key, right? So what you do is you meet with the director and you beg to see whatever footage they have shot already. There are a couple of times I've been fortunate to get editor's assemblies before the director has even seen them. You take it back, you bring it back to the studio, and that's like your select reel to start building uh, the creative campaign based on the strategy you've laid out first. Like I said, that may change. Uh, there's always an unspoken pact between yourself and the filmmaker that if the head of the studio, your boss walks in, the president of production and says, you got the movie? How is it? How much money is it going to make? And you basically look and you yeah. say, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Right? Yeah. And you start right. cutting with your... So basically, the only people who have access to the film yourself and the vent, the trailer vendor you've assigned to start working on it. You start cutting it, you start testing it, you start seeing what people are responding to in the story, what elements you need to, you know, reinforce and pull back on. And that ultimately either becomes part of the campaign, well, it should, or you have to change the strategy to fit like, oh my God, the movie we thought we were making, uh, you know what? It's better like on, a, on a, uh, a zombie romance movie. Who would have thought one of the elements that would get to attract people, it would be the humor of the story. Humor and romance together, we found out during testing, that was the key to open this movie. And uh, that's what we ended up doing. We push the humor, we push the romance, because, you know, in the world of zombie romance, zombies aren't sexy. (laughs) Well, to each other, they might. Well, vampires are sexy, but zombies don't take a shower. They got black stuff out of their mouth. (laughs) And it's like, how do you sell a zombie as like a cute, well, humor adds a lot to that. You make him charming and you give the girl in the movie a reason to fall for this guy. So um, that's the part. And it never ends. It's like, you know, and then and then when uh, you start doing the campaign and you get material that starts working, then it's like the dreaded, dreaded word of tracking comes out. The movie comes on tracking and people start going, oh, this is what it's like usually three weeks out. And if you're on track, okay, things are going great. People know about the movie. They're definitely interested in it. And there are some instances also when tracking comes out, you go, oh, my God, no one wants to see this movie. So you panic, you rethink. and what, So you're constantly evolving the campaign and strategy based on whatever information you get in until opening day. Wow. Well, and- how long of a runway would you say in a normal marketplace? And by normal, I mean, let's just say pre-pandemic. How long of a runway would you ideally want to have to be able to build that buzz, to be able to create, create that first impression. I mean, I assume the longer, the better, yeah. but maybe not too long. Yeah. Sweet spot. Well, it depends on the film too. I mean, not every movie is destined nor should it be to make a hundred million dollars at the box office. I mean, people will want to do that and it makes sure. sense. The more money uh, you can make, the better, better it is for the company and for the filmmakers. You know, you maybe do a teaser a year out based on a movie. How, you know, you, the teaser, I was just going to ask you about that because to me, is the teaser trailer the most important moment in that marketing cycle? In other words, could, or do you get another chance because a teaser is just that 
it's not the full representation of the movie. It's giving the audience a flavor for the movie. Yeah, I think it's a constant build throughout the campaign. It's just not one element. Although years ago, uh, someone uh, in a pre- previous life at one of the studios made a, a solid point that, you know, if you come out of the gate with the wrong foot forward, you have to spend that much more time and energy trying to to recoup that and get it back on the right track. So you have to make sure, um, you know, based on strategy and based on everyone's input, this is what you're doing to uh, to advance this this campaign. And things change, you know. Um, uh, oh my God, you're doing uh, a, a movie you're releasing is on a certain date and suddenly another studio moves their movie on your date and they have a comedy as well as your comedy. So you go, well, maybe it makes more sense now to sell it more as a romance than a comedy to kind of delineate ourselves from the competition. It's a constant process. That's very interesting to me that you, rather than let's say moving a release date, because I know that's a huge, and of course, last year that was different. <laughs> release dates were moving constantly, but in a, a quote unquote normal marketplace, uh, you really don't want to change dates, especially once it's on your materials and all that. So I like what you just said. It's interesting that maybe just change the way you present that movie so it doesn't look like the same movie as your competition or right in the same genre or wheelhouse or right. something like that. Although the, a date change that Warner Brothers made years ago basically helped solidify Summit Entertainment when Harry Potter was scheduled over the Thanksgiving weekend they moved it to July for whatever reason. And Twilight was scheduled to be released in December. They moved it up to uh, November. And so not only was it perceived as a big Hollywood movie, I mean, there are people, fans and young women and uh, moms and grandmas, and even some guys were salivating to see this movie. But once the uh, it was moved up, they suddenly had all kinds of you know, more screens available as well. Ah, right. Yeah. So, and because some it was so much of a nimble studio, we could do things on a dime. Whereas a huge studio, you can't turn things around in 24 hours. Well, some it did. And yeah. we we latched onto that date. And I think one of the reasons why Twilight was a success theatrically was because we reacted. You yeah. were in that sweet spot and you were right. nimble enough to and That's just correct. by the way, for those listening, Tim Sommerfeld uh, worked on all five films of the twilight saga right so you definitely uh you you understand the the blockbuster world as well as you worked on the hurt locker which to me is the blockbuster because the movie was so incredible um sometimes blockbusters aren't just movies that make a lot of money in my mind they're movies that make a huge impression but i want to i want to go oh yeah go ahead well i was going to say because i mean twilight you talking about making a huge impression i mean not only was it a blockbuster which you know we were hoping for never knew it was going to be as successful as it was and it's like year to year uh we never stopped working and doing what we needed to do to help those movies along but it was a movie that basically changed the Hollywood model in a lot of ways too, because up till then, I mean, motion pictures, always young men, uh, boys in the theater. Well, Twilight opened it up to young females and suddenly everyone said, Oh my God, there's a whole part of the audience that we've been ignoring. And for Twilight, I mean, the young females for Twilight, they would show up opening weekend, see the movie three, five times each. They also like uh, brought friends. So you'd have like parties of like five or 10 uh, people coming to having like a twilight party in the theater. It was like insane. 
It's what we used yeah. to call a happening. That's right. That's right. That's <laughs> and right. I, I love that because I think, you know, for years grow, growing up in this business, the 18 to 24 year old male, right? Correct. What about the women, man? What about the girls? What about creating content movies that appeal to, and I don't even like to call it a demographic. It's just people who love movies who are hungry for this content. It's about creating that story, right? not the story of the movie, the story of bringing this kind of content to a mass audience, but not marginalizing an audience because there may be some preconceived notion that that audience isn't going to show up. Right. You created kind of the perfect confluence of factors, a perfect storm for this movie. But I, but I, and I definitely want to talk more about well, Twilight because okay. it's huge, but I want to go back to something you said a few minutes ago, which is very interesting because I think most people do not understand how that trailer, the first trailer, how the marketing, the creative side of the marketing, creating that buzz happens. And I think you said you literally go on set, you meet, you're, you're there, which you're is doing the photo shoot photo. and you're, you're covering everyone while they're shooting a movie. So if you've got, you know, you need to uh, shoot the vampires or you need to shoot the zombies or whatever. Well, it's easier to do it while the hair and makeup is there and while they're in character, as opposed to try and get the cast together six months after right? To recreate yeah. that. So you do that and yeah, you get, uh, you get the material. And have you ever walked onto a set having, and I'm sure this has happened where you had a preconceived notion of what the movie was about, what the tone and tenor of the marketing probably should be. Like you kind of had it in your mind. Mm -hmm. This is probably given the genre that the filmmakers involved and all that, and maybe the potential rating, which you may or may not know at that point, and then go on set and go, wow, this director just blew my mind. I have to completely rethink yeah. what I was going to do or not. I, I don't think, I don't think I'm familiar with an instance where it's like, this wasn't the movie that we were expecting. I mean, how you would tackle the creative change numerous times. And when you go on a set and do a photo shoot, you have uh, sketches. Here's what we're going to cover blah, blah, blah. And you go with every good intention. We want to cover this. We want to go a little bit more male oriented. If we can, we can do this or whatever. But nine times out of 10, the poster that ends up finishing is something that you hadn't even planned on simply because right. a scene in the movie or a focus group in the, uh, in the test screening goes, we want the red eyes and Bella is what we wanted. That's what you focus on. So uh, it's just constantly being able to change, address everyone's concerns and, um, you know, using research as an objective voice to give you information to kind of help shape what you need to do. Because filmmakers are living, breathing, eating, sleeping, drinking this movie. They know what the movie is, but it's like sometimes you have to step back and, uh, and get the average moviegoer, which basically research, research is based on, and get some feedback to like help shape how to make it as attractive and appealing as possible. And trust is everything, right? Because oh, yeah. you're not just making one movie with most of these filmmakers. I mean, if you do, if you play your cards right, you'll be in the business of that filmmaker yeah. forever, and you could blow it, right? Correct. I mean. <laughs> Thank goodness. I well, mean, you clearly have to have great instincts yeah. and then also be, I would imagine, uh, Tim, you're attuned to filmmakers sensibilities and you're, you're sensitive to their creative process and their point of view. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned trust. Trust also is a very important part between uh, the creative marketing department and the vendors you hire to do the material as well. Some studios have in-house 
creative agency. I know Disney has something right now. When I was at uh, New Line Cinema, we had an edit bay and we would cut stuff and play around with stuff. But uh, you basically hire an outside vendor to do the creative for you. And trust needs to be there as well, right? Right, Because it's like, here's the plan, here's the idea. And it sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but relationships are key in that aspect so of the relationship. I would imagine then once you're, you know, once you establish a great relationship with a vendor, you probably tend to stick with them yes. for at least every movie yeah. or every movie that makes sense for that yeah. collaboration. I, I think that's the, that's the key. It's like half the job is basically knowing who to put on what movie. Um, when you see that a lot with uh, film crews, right? You'll see the director, a certain director working with the same crew over and over again, because they're like a family, they're in a rhythm. And I think behind the scenes too, with the marketing, you get into that kind of situation. That's correct. I agree. Yeah, that's really cool. Now you talk about New Line, and I know I <laughs> I used to work many years ago in the Pacific Theaters building, and New Line was in there, and I remember seeing the first on Robertson, movie. right? On Robertson, on Robertson, yep, right that, across from uh, the Ivy. That's correct. And then there was the hot dog vendor there, uh, and, really, really and, cool guy. And the newsstand downstairs was it the newsstand? Yeah, down, yeah. newsroom, newsroom. That's newsroom what it was. Cafe. Yes, and. In that, so I remember seeing the first Austin Powers movie uh, in that screening room in the lobby there, and everybody's mind was blown. But the movie made fifty-four million total, and then the second movie, The Spy Who Shagged Me, made fifty-four million in its opening weekend alone. That movie was a buzz on home video, and it blew up. But I know you have some some interesting. I, I want to talk to you about, and you can you only talk about who you're comfortable talking about. But I know you work with a lot of creative talent. And everyone listening would love to be able to sit in a room or hang out with or talk to some of the biggest stars uh, in the world, as I'm sure you've you've done. And I know you've done that. So you want to talk about uh, the, the talent that really you were in tune with right away or you found that they were super accessible, no ego, just kind of, I mean, everybody has an ego, but you know what I mean? Like uh, stars that maybe uh, change your perception of them because you may have had an idea of who they were till you met them and then they turned out to surprise you in a really good way. Right. Well, it's like the first person that comes to mind is Anthony Hopkins was terrific. I'd worked with him twice. Once when I was working at Disney, he did the uh, Oliver Stone movie, Nixon, many, many years ago. So Mm -hmm. we were doing a teaser there. My boss had set up a a shoot with one of the vendors. And here, uh, here I am, a kid from Wisconsin standing next to Anthony Hopkins waiting for the camera. He's doing like Nixon impersonations. It's like, what? And then we worked with him again on Red 2, and he was a sweetheart. The majority of stars realize that what we do, which is basically carving out time to do photo shoots and so forth and so on, it's part of the job. Some of them yeah. don't like to do publicity, but it's it's harder to do that aspect, I think, than to actually be on camera and acting for a lot of for a lot of the actors. So, but Nicholas Cage was another great one who we worked on a movie. He gave us an entire Saturday. We could do whatever we want for the, for the photo shoot. And uh, one of the greatest uh, conversations I had was with Michael Caine on uh, now you see me. I mean, Michael Caine, you know, it's wow. like, I, I enjoy chatting with him and uh, we're all having fun. And I, th- I think that's the key also to the, the job and uh, working in what we do is if we can have fun doing it, because out of having fun comes the ideas. Well, I know that. I mean, the Austin Powers movies, I just remember when those came out. And uh, again, the second movie was so incredibly popular and the third. But what, how cool is that to see that 
that character just becomes something. I, I hope they do another one. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but I, I would love to see that. <laughs> yeah, no, M Mike Myers is great. It's like, I didn't work on the first one. The second one we worked on. And as you said, the reason why the second one was so successful is because the home entertainment or the home video release of the first one, it became like, became like a cult figure, a cult Huge. film. And uh, it was a great experience. I mean, he was a one man, uh, one man show doing a lot of uh, work and he was very, very much involved in the marketing. And uh, we actually encouraged that and liked that. I want to talk to you real qu quick about red because w tell me the difference between working with, let's say you have a, a writer director and a main star or two stars. That's one dynamic with, when you have an ensemble cast, how do you work with all the various personalities to get the marketing uh, ramped up and get all the photos you need, the information you need, all of that. How does, how is it dealing with an ensemble or working with, I should say, well, not deal, I, it, with you know, they shot red two in a Gillette, an old Gillette razor factory outside of London. Really? And, yeah. And we went over there and we had stand-ins so we could do all our photo shoots and whatever. And we would basically schedule Helen Mirren, Morgan Freeman, Bruce Willis, Anthony Hopkins, uh, John Malkovich, who was fantastic. We would bring them in and we'd cover off on them. But that that plan was because it was a, a, a such a diverse cast of well-known actors and fabulous characters. We had like teaser posters and digital stuff planned all along. So um, it just all comes together quite honestly. And I'm a, and firm, then, I'm a firm believer also that the work will always be great. It's just the process of getting there. And sometimes it's easier than not, but it's like, you just got to keep your nose to the grindstone and um, keep cranking away. Well, and then once the move, let's say you have the first Twilight movie open, which did great business and and then it turns into this long-running franchise do you take lessons from the first campaign apply them you kind of alluded to this earlier or is every movie like a standalone you can't rest on your laurels you can't go back to the well too many times or do you take what worked and and just keep running with that and then some series the director changes through each movie you have to right. deal with the new dynamic there. right that seems pretty uh pretty complicated right. in a way but I don't know. Well, the interesting thing regarding Twilight was there was a, a rabid fan base already in place. And I think throughout the marketing, uh, dealing with that, we kept them forefront in all the material that we were doing. Obviously, we had to keep them happy. But then also, it's like if every Twilight fan came to see this movie, we had to broaden it out, broaden it out make it bigger than what that was. Thanks to the guidance of our fearless president of marketing, Nancy Kirkpatrick, we managed to do that. And every uh, year, we thought... Somewhat, it was a fluke. I mean, you know, $69 million opening on the first movie, which is like, oh my God, if that would have been the entire life of the film, it would have been like fantastic. And then New Moon opened to like $142 million. It's like, what right. happened? And, and you get in the mindset of whenever you have a success at the box office, you know, you may pop a bottle of champagne, but halfway through drinking of the glass, you go, what the hell are we going to do next? <laughs> how, how are we going to, is this, is this a one-time thing? And it's yeah. like, I think that kind of fuels the work ethic. Cause we did the one, there were four more to go. It's like, uh, how are we get? what happened? And so well, you learn. Right. I think, I think also too, if you didn't have the movie, look, marketing, you know, if you do a great marketing campaign, you build that awareness and the want to see factor, right? Correct. And people come out that opening weekend 
And in the best case scenario, people are like, oh my God, that movie's amazing. I'm going to go see it three more times this weekend. Then that's a home run for everyone, right? But then you can only do so much to get people aware and get them out there that opening weekend. If the movie's not there, then I guess you you move on and and lick your wounds. And it really, want, you know, an effective marketing campaign, in my estimation, can only do so much if the movie isn't there. If you've done everything that you can do, but the movie just kind of falls flat with audiences, well, then you go on to the next project. But it seems like you've had incredible success with all the projects you've worked on. So there must be some magic formula, Tim, that you're you're not going to give that out here. But I just think there there must be something to the way that you and your team and everyone you work with kind of approach this process. Right? Well, I think I think the word there is team. Uh, if you're mm-hmm. fortunate to work uh, with a, a a group of individuals that uh, are good at what they do and actually like themselves, like each other, and basically the only agenda is to open a movie that comes few and far between in this town. And I think the success of Summit basically has to uh, rely upon not only the production, because obviously the movies were greenlit and they had uh, certain elements to it that would be appealing to a lot of people. But thanks to Rob Friedman and Patrick Waxberger's direction, and as I said, Nancy, we had a group of people there that had fun what they were doing, dealt with the stress, and did everything they could to uh, to try and open movies. And luck has something to do with it. If you work hard on a film and this is what it's going to make and whatever, and it's released during the uh, wintertime and the East Coast gets a snowstorm and the box <laughs> yep. office, you go, well, you can't control that. So stars always kind of have to line up. But yeah, it's the, it all comes down to the team because you're yeah. only as strong as your weakest link, I think. Well, and, I, and in talking to you, You've always made that very clear that it's, you know, it's not about one person. It's about that team. And as you said, the a weakest link and, you know, kind of the whole thing could collapse. But it just sounds like you've had uh, such an incredible run of great campaigns for some amazing movies. Uh, we're going to wrap up here in a couple of minutes. Is there any favorite campaign of yours that or favorite or a movie that you love the movie, loved everything about it, the entire experience where from start to finish? Or is that a unicorn for everyone to have? Yeah, I think there are uh, numerous films uh, that uh, I really enjoyed working on. Uh, Perks of a Wallflower is one of those movies. Oh yeah, which was a, a very I mean, it was a challenging movie to market, but it was a terrific story. Uh, Sinister, a horror movie, was uh, was really great. My nephew and, cannot ever be in the dark because of that movie. I swear yeah, to God. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it was a, a wonderful film. Everything kind of lined up for that as well. I like the Red Campaign as well. And uh, I also had worked on uh, All Eyes on Me, the Tupac uh, Shakur oh, yeah. movie yep. uh, for Lionsgate. I was consulting with them. And that was another film that was very, uh, you know. So you, in my estimation, have the least boring job in Hollywood or anywhere because it's like it's always different. And you're always getting to work on these various films and go behind the scenes, kind of the dream scenario for those of us who rarely get to visit a film set or speak with creatives. And I just think uh, pretty amazing, Tim. Tim Sommerfeld, veteran marketing executive and creative director. Where where can we find you? What are you willing to share that you're working on next? And uh, well, I've been kind of locked down during the, the pandemic. 
pandemic, like a lot of people, I've been working on a screenplay. I'm in a second draft of that, which is a very challenging thing. I'm consulting. I have a website out there. And, uh, you know, I'm like everybody else, including you, waiting for theaters to open up again after the pandemic. And I think, uh, you know, at least now there's promise. And there were some people saying movies and theaters dead, over with, forget. I don't think that's the case. I think it's still the cheapest form of entertainment. Uh, to go. And where else, seriously, where else on earth can you be in one place and are basically made to focus on one thing for an hour and a half or two hours? You can't, there's no other place. I I agree. Right? Exactly. Well, that's the thing about, and we, we've talked about this offline that at home is great, right? But you can get the, the, somebody knocks at the door the dog starts barking, you need to get a drink or whatever. And you, you are not immersed in it. Correct. Whereas in a movie theater, you're completely immersed. And by being there, you're, you're really stating your intention to keep your attention focused Correct. on the movie. And I, I just, I love that. And it must be gratifying for you too, because if you work on a, a campaign, you have a great movie and if people are viewing it in the wrong environment, it just, it's not as special to me. So I think the movie theaters have already shown that they're coming back big. I look forward to all of your future work. I want people to learn more from what Tim has been talking about today, because I think it's really fascinating what you do. And I look forward to talking to you more in the future. And real quick, a bonus round. Tim and I found out that we're, we have roots <laughs> in Racine, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. How about that? And you know what Kringle is. Kringle. Okay, we are not sponsored by H&H Kringle, but find it at your local store. Right. No, it's amazing. If you don't know what Kringle is, you got to have it. The almond Kringle. Oh, totally. Totally. It's totally almond. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Tim, thank, thank you, Paul. you so much. Tim Summerfeld for being on my many screens, big picture podcast for Comscore. I hope to see you soon in person. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.